Well, as I said at the beginning, we are in uh, part three of this little series called Faith, Hope, and Love, uh, based on uh, Paul's letter, the first letter to the <clears throat> Thessalonians. And today we're going to be talking about being a uh, faithful witness. And the reading that we're going to take a look at today, these uh, eight verses from Second Thessalonians, we, we kind of run into trouble in River City, if you will. Uh, because the people begin to badmouth the gospel after Paul and his friends show up to preach and teach. And so it is that Paul kind of faces off with those people um, who are attempting to distort the truth about him. Now, from the first verses of First Thessalonians 2, it appears that people were saying that uh, Paul and his team were just a bunch of scam artists Uh, who were unsuccessful in their work. Now, personally, I don't think Paul was really very much concerned about these people or what they said about him, but he felt that these personal attacks needed to be addressed because of their impact on this brand new fledgling little church and upon the credibility of his witness. And so as you listen to these words as we go through them today, uh, you're going to hear not only a defense of Paul's ministry, But it's my prayer, particularly as I I put this together, it's kind of for myself and hopefully for you as well, that you'll also be able to uh, glean some principles that will help you to be faithful in your own witness for the gospel. Because let's be honest, sometimes witnessing to the gospel is not the easiest thing to do. It's not always well received. Uh, So as you listen to these words, you're going to hear not only a defense of Paul's ministry, but of yours and mine as well. Now, the first principle we're going to talk about of being a faithful witness is not to give up. And I think that's our first point, uh, because circumstances are difficult. Paul begins chapter 2 with these words in verses 1 and 2. He says, You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and had been insulted in Philippi, as you know. But the help of our God, with the help of our God, we dared to tell you, his gospel in spite of strong opposition. Now, that verse needs a little bit of background because he suddenly is not talking about Thessalonia. He's talking about Philippi. And uh, some of you may know the story. If you read the book of uh, Philippians, you read the book of Acts. Uh, Paul went to Philippi because he had a vision that was given to him. And in this vision, there was a man who invited him to come to Macedonia. So Paul went... Uh, and began to reach out to the people in Philippi, really to plant a new mission congregation, if you will. And one day, though, uh, Paul happened to run across this woman who was possessed by a demon, and he cast that demon out by the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, what happened was the people who had been exploiting this woman, who had been parading around town making money off of her, got really cranked about it. They had Paul arrested. Uh, he was, along with his uh, buddy Silas, not only was he arrested, he was beaten, he was thrown in jail. And the next day, all the city officials marched him to the edge of the city and said, don't come back. Now, their ministry in Thessalonica was not a whole lot different. They were doing really well, and, but it didn't provoke a riot in the city. Uh, but it did cause them to have to sneak out of town and head elsewhere. So it's kind of easy to imagine at some point Paul would have maybe stopped and said, you know, this missionary stuff, this church planting stuff, uh, it's not going real well. Maybe I should just go back to Tarsus and call it a day. 
Now, I say that because if I were Paul, I know how, how I would have wondered. I would have wondered, you know, am I kind of a miserable failure? I feel like I was called by God, but things don't seem to be working out the way that I thought God wanted them to happen, and it wasn't doing what I thought I wanted to happen. I mean, if you've been, I've been in ministry for I don't know, about 50 years altogether, you know, teaching and preaching. Uh, but, uh, you know, when a program fails, when an idea flops, uh, or kind of ministry kind of stalls in place, uh, sometimes you just want to say, now nah, what the heck, I'm done, I'm out of here. Now, like me, you've probably had times when you've set out uh, to do a job and things just did not go quite the way you wanted them to go. Uh, maybe you volunteered to teach a Bible class one time and after about two or three weeks, nobody showed up. I don't know if that's ever happened to you. Or maybe you planned a big program of some kind and, and it flopped. Uh, or you tried to share the gospel with someone and you suddenly got really tongue-tied and you couldn't get the words out right and you just realized you should just sit down and shut up and move on. Or maybe you took a new job and you believed that God was leading you into this new job, this new place, but yet you find that when you got to this new job and the new place, you're just frustrated. Uh, or I have a couple of friends who really felt called to leave the ministry and start a business opportunity, and they were both bankrupt within the first year. Uh, it wasn't quite what they thought. So maybe somewhere along your life, at different points, somebody has called you a failure, uh, but you saw the stairs, you, maybe they didn't say it out loud, but you kind of heard them whispering behind your back. And the more you thought about it, you know, sometimes Satan can start planting seeds in your heart that says, maybe you ought to just call it quits and move on. Now, that's why these words of Paul, I find them extremely instructive, because in spite of the circumstances, in spite of, I guess, the whispers of failure, uh, Paul continued to boldly declare the truth. Uh, he refused to, to give up simply because things weren't quite working the way he thought. And I said, the way he thought they should be played out. Now, I think Paul understood four things that you and I need to remember when these things happen to us in our life. One of them is that no one following uh, Jesus, no one has ever said that following Jesus was going to be easy uh, or always pleasant. Uh, Jesus warned us that if, if people hated him, guess who else they hate? They'd hate anybody else who calls on the name of Jesus. Uh, just because you're experiencing conflict doesn't mean that you've failed. Think, uh, another thing that Paul teaches us here is that we don't always see the entire picture. Uh, when things don't go as we expect, we need to withhold judgment because God may actually be doing something different than what we had planned on doing. Uh, when I thought about this, I, I was reminded of Isaiah 55, 8 and 9. Some of you know that verse. It says, for my thoughts are what? Not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. Okay, come on, Barry. You Don't get with your program. Get with my program. See, it's possible that sometimes that what we actually see as a failure in life is really the perfect piece for God's puzzle that you can't see the whole thing. I mean, for example, think of the various prophets. Uh, think about Isaiah or uh, Jeremiah or Ezekiel uh, who warned of God's impending judgment, but nobody listened to them. I mean, you've got you know, those pretty big books of the Bible. 
And nobody listened to what those people had to say back in that day. Now, imagine how many times Isaiah, Jeremiah, or let's say Ezekiel would have felt like uh, failures. But you have to remember that God's purpose for these guys was not to change the nation. Instead, he was using them to inform the nation and to provide a warning to all of the generations to come. Now, we can go back today and read Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and say, Oh man, what he said back then, this is happening now. We need to pay attention. See, God may be doing something different in your life, in my life, or let's say even in the life of Restore, uh, that is something different than what you and I thought it might be um, or that we expected. There's a third thing that he kind of teaches us here, and that's that God's definition of success and our definition of success uh, are are different. Uh, We tend to look at worldly success. We get caught up in that. Um, In uh, in the pastor language, we use the words nickels and noses. I mean, how many nickels were in the collection plate and how many noses were parked in the padded pews? Uh, And that's a a deceitful thing. That's, That's Satan planting seeds that shouldn't be there. See, God is uh, looking for us to be faithful even when we don't understand what he's doing in our lives. Uh, And there's a fourth thing that we we can think about here, and that's that even if we do fail, and I don't know, anybody here ever failed at anything? I've I've failed at any number of things in my life. But sometimes failure is what it takes uh, to experience what real growth is. Uh, We often learn best from the mistakes that we make. we make in life. It was my grandpa who taught me this, that it's an awful dumb horse that doesn't learn from a beaten. Well, it took me till I was about 14 or 15 to realize who this dumb horse was he was talking about. <laughs> you know, come on, Barry, you get beat up all the time. Think about it. Um, faithful people continue to be faithful in spite of the circumstances. Now, here's the big second thing that we learned from uh, Paul here. We learn from Paul is that faithful witness speaks the truth in love. Now, verse 3 gives us some insight into some of the charges that were being made against Paul. He says, For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. See, it's likely that the people that were opposing Paul were saying that he was running a scam. Uh, simply using the Thessalonians for his own purposes. Uh, These people couldn't attack the facts of the Christian faith, so they attacked the messenger instead. But here in verses 5 and 6 is what Paul said they didn't do. He said, you know we never used flattery, uh, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness, he said. You guys know this. We were not looking for praise from men, nor from you or anyone else. Now, when I read those verses, I wondered, did I ever try to flatter the people in my churches uh, just to make me feel better? (laughs) You know, flattery is kind of a fickle sort of a thing. But Paul never used flattery. Now, maybe you've had somebody who's tried to do that to you. They come up to you and they kind of butter you up. They use all kinds of flattery. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, you're feeling really good about yourself. And then they suddenly come with what they want from you. (laughs) They flatter you, but now they got you. Um, See, these people couldn't attack the face, so they attacked the messenger here. See, flattery is just insincere talk designed to manipulate somebody 
it, it, you know, it's tempting. I, I'll tell you, as a pastor, as a, you know, Jeff could probably tell you, as a teacher, it, it, it's tempting to sometimes color the gospel in order to get people to kind of join your group or like you. It's a temptation. It's out there. It's kind of like I've been. I've sat in some. I've sat in a lot of churches and listened to a lot of preaching too. I've heard pre- preachers preach about forty minutes and never bring up the topic of sin because they don't want to offend anybody by calling them a bunch of de- dirty, evil, wicked, bad, nasty sinners. Um, or maybe they don't even talk about repentance. They don't talk about how we're a bunch of broken people or how we're a bunch of evil, wicked, bad, nasty folks in need of somebody outside ourselves, and that person is Jesus. Or, you know, doing something just to manipulate some other people. Uh, Sometimes it just means softening our talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Uh, And after all, people don't like to hear that a relationship with Jesus might actually be a hard thing to do. However, when we start omitting that kind of information, we're kind of tickling the ears of people. We kind of present a false gospel. That's why we need to be in the word and of the word. Jesus said we should count the cost before coming after him. I had a wonderful uh, note the other day from one of the inmates down at Angola. And uh, what he said was interesting. He says, well, he said, the one thing we like about you and Miss Cheryl is you, you don't sugarcoat the truth. And he said, and you, Doc, in particular, sometimes are so doggone forward and direct. <laughs> you make us squirm, but thank you. And I thought about that. I thought, man, I wonder what, what I preached about last time that I made a whole you know, bunch of inmates in prison squirm. Uh, but it happens. Have you ever squirmed in a sermon? Where, you know, you've been praying that the pastor's main point would fly over your head and spear the person behind you, but it hit you instead? I think it's happened to all of us. Well, we can't be dangling promises of material gain. I mean, some churches do that. I mean, you get involved with Jesus, money's going to start rolling in. Uh, or you're going to have a problem-free life. Uh, promises the Bible never says. Um, now, Paul was not motivated, motivated by greed. He was not looking just to gather a bunch of people who just came around to hug him all the time. Uh, he had one purpose, and that was to present the truth of the gospel, plain and simple. In fact, in verse 9, Paul reminds him that he didn't even take an offering. Uh, he and his friends worked hard to avoid any parents that they were there uh, trying to fleece the sheep. Now, sadly, in our day, um, in Paul's day and ours, um, some people actually try to do the very thing. Uh, I've been at churches where I think the main emphasis was after the pastor had preached a message of about 12 minutes, he spent another 20 minutes making us feel guilty uh, because they passed the place one time and had counted the money and there wasn't enough in there and he made them pass the plate again, at which point I exited stage right. Uh, you know, I, I hated to come into church realizing the first thing that the pastor did was extend the right hand of fellowship right into my pocket. Um, that's not the purpose of being gathered together. Uh, anytime when our primary concern is what we can get, uh, whether it's money or power or influence, it's greed, and that's a perversion of the heart of God. And this is what Paul does now in verses 5 to 8. He's refuting these charges that people laid out against him. He said, as apostles, and that word apostolos in Greek means the sent ones. As the sent ones of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. 
but we were gentle among you like a mother caring for her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. Now, Paul reminds these Thessalonians that his approach was to be, to be gentle with them. Uh, he gave up all rights he had in order to address their needs. He said, I, I actually have kind of the heart of a mother. And those of you that have mothered children or grandmothered children or aunted them or uncled them, you know, when you take care of little kids, uh, you're willing to sacrifice. Uh, I remember when our daughter came home and, and uh, had a baby and a uh, little joshy boy in our house and and I can remember how that little, in the middle of the night, three people would jump out of bed to take care of that little one. If the little one stumbles and falls, you know, everybody in the house runs to help pick them back up again. Um, moms here that's cries that you know, husbands sometimes never hear. Uh, but that's the attitude we should have towards lost people, too, to be able to hear their cries. Uh, listen. Uh, I, you know, many of you know, I sit in the same coffee shop six days a week. And a lot of times I'm just sitting there listening to conversations. And not because I'm nosy, not because I'm an eavesdropper, but I just want to listen because it might be I hear something in the conversation that would give me the opportunity to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ into that situation. It's not an easy thing to do because a lot of times, you know, what's some old guy going to do getting up and walking to another table of four or five people and interjecting himself into that conversation? Not always easy. And sometimes you just feel, I just shut up, drink your coffee and go home. Well, First Peter chapter 3, uh, verses 15 to 16, gives us kind of the right heart for a faithful witness. Uh, Peter said, always be prepared for what? Some of you know the answer. To give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Do you appear to be a hopeful person as you go through the community? You know, sometimes people go, what's with you? Or, how, can you how can you be like this when everything is kind of falling apart? It says, but give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope you have. But do this with what? Gentleness and respect keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. See, the principle is really simple. If you kind of boil this down, you could probably take that verse and preach a three-point sermon. It would be, uh, be prepared, be gentle, be consistent. You know, have the word in you. Uh, be gentle about how you do it. You're not in there to bang people over the head with the King James Version Bible. And to be consistent in your testimony. If you want to be a faithful witness... Uh, well, you, you, uh, the message people need to hear is the one that comes from God's word. And they need to see that it's the love of Jesus in us before they'll ever listen. See, you know, Paul was willing not only to share the gospel with people, but he was actually willing to share his life with them. I mean, I'm going to use the mittens as a kind of an example here. What do you do? You're going to share your life on your ranch and on your farm to bring Everybody together, and not just, as I understand when I read my email, not just the people from Restore, but anybody who wants to come from Praise and Worship, anybody who wants to come from Friendly Free Will Baptist, anybody who lives around who's ever had a horse, owned a horse, drawn a picture of a horse, ridden a horse, you know, y'all come. And so the family gets extended in some way, uh, willing to endure having a whole bunch of people in your property all day. 
uh, but it comes with a servant heart. If we want to be faithful, we need to do this to welcome people. I think the key phrase here in this entire passage might be verse 4. He says, we're not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. See, the key is as long as we're trying to please other people, we're going to be constantly frustrated. Uh, The requirements will be ever-changing and uh, joy and peace will be elusive. Now, I think all of us at one time or another have been frustrated. Uh, We've been frustrated that a person who seemed to be our friend one day kind of turned their back on us the next day. Now, Paul gives us another one. I'm going to jump into 2 Corinthians real quick. In 2 Corinthians 5, he said, So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive what is due for him for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So Paul was not concerned about the court of public opinion. He didn't care what other people thought. He was interested in what the final judge has to say on the last day. I mean, think about how difficult a mindset this is to maintain. Uh, We all like huge crowds. I mean, if I were Garth Brooks having a concert three days in a row out on top of some hill outside of Branson, I would love 17, 18, 19,000 people. Uh, Like Cornhusker Boy back there, Joel and I, we love to see Memorial Stadium packed with 90,000 people rooting up. Uh, I can tell you that it is a thrill. I I got to preach at the Million Man Crusade uh, the first night. I got to preach to about 250,000 people. I can't tell you how great that feels to kind of, in fact, the first thing I did is I said, on the count of three, wave your hand because I'm going to take pictures to prove to my wife where I actually was. I mean, it's a big deal to have that many people. And yet, I get as big a rush sometimes speaking only to one person about Jesus. It has nothing to do with the numbers or the nickels or the noses, whatever. Um, Sometimes that, you know, a different mindset gets in the way because we all like to be liked. Uh, We hate being the focus of an attack. Uh, As a result, sometimes rather than serving the Lord, we start finding ourselves serving other things, like I said before, numbers, money, positions, accolades, whatever. Uh, So we find ourselves doing what we need to fit in, uh, which sometimes means we kind of move away from the truth of God, and we just plain simple can't do that. Now, I hope that you could use these verses in 1 Thessalonians 2 in a couple of different ways. One of them is this. It's my hope that uh, you will find encouragement in these verses. Um, Maybe, like me, every once in a while you get kind of worn down living out a Christian life. Sometimes it's a struggle. Uh, Sometimes you're a little bit afraid to reach out and try something because you don't really want to be rejected. It's not a good day to be rejected. If so, just I, I want to remind you again that God is looking for faithfulness. He's not looking necessarily for results. Are you faithful? He doesn't weigh faithfulness by the world's standards. Instead, he honors the heart that just serves him. Now, that's why I think when we get to heaven someday, I think we're going to be pretty surprised in a whole variety of ways. I don't think the people who will receive the greatest rewards are going to be the people of celebrity status. I don't think God's going to pray to all the head pastors or all the senior pastors down front first. In fact, I think some of the people that are going to be most honored in heaven will probably be people like 
Oh, what? Missionaries who gave themselves to an unsaved area of this world and saw next to nothing in their results. I think it's going to be the person who spent every day at home just in private prayer, praying prayers that no one else but God has ever heard. I think it might be the student who actually stands up for his or her faith across the street at Hollister High School or Branson High School or at Missouri State University who stands firm in their faith in spite of the fact that they might be ridiculed by other people. I think it's the person who just gives generously and quietly to support a whole bunch of different ministries or the person who just works faithfully in areas that are hardly ever noticed and kind of unappreciated. Now, I did urge you, and I urge myself today, to just kind of keep going. Don't give up sometimes just because it gets difficult. And I've been in this long enough to know it's not always easy. It's always difficult. And life is always that way. I mean, uh, I hate to say it, Joel, but the Huskers can't win every Sunday. It would be really nice. Sure but <laughs> That's what we'd like. They used to. Yeah, they used to. But you can't just go up, 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 up all the time. You need to experience what it's like to live in the valley sometimes to remember who you are and whose you are. Uh, so don't, don't turn away just because it gets difficult. Trust in his plan. Trust his heart of love for you. Trust his mission. Uh, trust his grace. Keep reaching out. Keep talking to people at White River and say, this is not a bad place. Come with us some Sunday morning. Uh, continue to be faithful. And see, the real test of faith is not whether or not you celebrate God in good times. That's pretty easy. You know, a couple of weeks ago, to be able to celebrate my mother-in-law's 100th birthday and the, every great thing that God had done for her, that's pretty easy to do. When you've got a smiling 100-year-old great-great-great-grandma, I think there's three greats in there, that's pretty easy to do. Uh, the real test is to continue to trust him when times are difficult because that same weekend, as you know, we had two funerals in our family. And to stand in front of a person who lost his wife at age 46 suddenly is not an easy thing, but you trust God that God is there, even in those difficult times, and to trust him when things are hard. The second thing I, I would hope that you, you, you hang on to is to use these verses just to kind of examine your own heart. And your own motives as you serve the Lord. Uh, I'm going to tell you that I don't know how many times I read this stuff this last week because, uh, in all honesty, uh, one would really like to think that by this time after nine months, this church would be full. And so sometimes a person could get a little discouraged. And I just looked in the mirror the other day and I thought, I said, you know something, Barry? It's not about you. And I said, who are you talking about? <laughs> and it was like God's finger says, you, you. See, what are you, who are you really serving? Uh, what values are really driving your activities? Uh, what's behind uh, your calendar or the checks you write or the people that you engage or the gospel message you share with other people? It, you know, are we squandering those kind of things on just personal, worldly pursuits from time to time? Now, let's face it. There are going to be two different things that are going to attack us all the time as long as we are Christ followers. Well, actually three. The devil, the world, and our own sinful flesh. And if we claim to be Christ followers, guess what? The devil's going to attack us too. 
If we're going to continue to stand as faithful witnesses, as Paul teaches us, we need to resolve to tell the truth without compromise. Uh, to love and to serve each other. To love and serve people that are different than us. To do what's right even when it doesn't appear to be paying off. It's not always easy, but it's the only way to remain faithful as a witness in a pretty hostile world. I think we ought to pray about that.